Well, hello and welcome to Faith Life 365 podcast number 11. We are talking about hindrances to faith. Now, if you miss past podcasts, you can go back, listen, and get caught up. Well, in podcast 10, we started part one of talking about how a lack of understanding of the new covenant is a hindrance to our faith. So in part one, we talked about the blood covenant. And in this podcast, which is part two, we're going to talk about the old covenant. So let's pray now and get started. Father God, we come before you now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Father, we praise your holy name. We thank you. We praise you for the many blessings that you have given us. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray as always, Lord, that you will open our eyes, that we may see in our ears, that we may hear and understand your word. Father, renew our minds. Give us knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Grow our faith now as we hear and study your word on the new covenant that you have given us through Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. All righty, all right. Let's get started by talking about the old covenant, because without understanding the old covenant, we can't gain a full understanding of the new covenant. And without having a full understanding of these covenants, our faith is hindered. So the old covenant refers to the covenant that God made with Abram. Now, why did God make a covenant with Abram? So remember in podcast 10, we read scriptures from Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 about Adam and Eve. God had given Adam and Eve dominion over all the earth, and Adam and Eve eat of the forbidden fruit. They broke covenant with God. Uh, So their sin severed their relationship with God. They died spiritually and handed over all authority in the earth to Satan. I've often thought, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this thinking, if God is God and God is Almighty and created all of heaven and earth, why didn't God just remove Satan from the earth, destroy him, or just cast him into hell at the very beginning? Well, the Bible doesn't give us cut and dry answers to this question. I'm not even sure it gives us any answers to that question. What does the Bible tell us, though? What do we know about God? Well, we know that God is love. 1 John 4.16, English Standard Version, says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Now, we know that God is perfect and a just God. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4, the New King James Version, says, He is the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. We also know that God has given us free will to choose to believe in Him and to serve Him or to reject Him and not not serving. Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, New Living Translation. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, the English Standard Version says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. We also know that God created the angels. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, King James Version. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth. Visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. So we can reason that if God is love and he is a just God, then he loves and is just to the angels also. What we know about God, heaven 
angels, and Satan is what we've been allowed to know through God's Word. We know that Satan was once a beautiful angel in heaven named Lucifer, the morning star. We know according to Isaiah chapter 14 that Lucifer said in his heart that he would ascend into heaven and exalt his throne above the stars of God, that he would sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. He would ascend above the heights of the clouds. He would be like the Most High. He thought himself equal or greater than God. The Bible in the book of Revelations tells us there was a great battle in heaven. And Michael and the other angels fought against Lucifer, the dragon, and defeated him and the angels that followed him. Lucifer and the angels that followed him were cast from heaven to the earth, and God renamed Lucifer Satan, meaning the adversary. What we don't know, does God have a covenant with the angels? And is this the reason Satan wasn't destroyed immediately? Is it because God is love and being a just and loving God, he is showing grace to Lucifer and the other fallen angels? The Bible does tell us that eventually Satan will be cast into hell and eternal torment. It does not say he will rule over hell. The worldly picture of Satan is of him sitting on a throne in hell, tormenting the sinners for eternity. Satan himself will be cast into that eternal torment. But until that day comes, has God left open an opportunity for Satan and the fallen angels to repent? Some will emphatically say, absolutely not. Yet, we don't know, and quite frankly, it's not our concern how God chooses to deal with Satan and the other fallen angels. You know, one day when we are present in heaven with God, we will know and understand all things. 1 Corinthians 13, chapters 9 through 13, New Living Translation says, Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. The Bible also tells us, we will one day judge angels. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 1 through 4, the English Standard Version. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then? matters pertaining to this life. So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? So, one thing we do know with certainty, Satan and his demonic forces do reside on this earth, and they do seek to prevent us from following Jesus Christ. He seeks to destroy us. God made man in his own image, and Satan hates man. 1 Peter 5, 8-11, English Standard Version be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, God, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. All right. Okay, yes, I have deviated slightly from discussing the Old Covenant. So, 
we know that because of Adam's sin, Satan was given back all authority in the earth. God loves man, man being male and female, and he needed a way to give authority in the earth back to man, to take that authority back. So in order for him to reestablish his relationship with man, he needed a man that was trustworthy that he could establish a covenant with. Without a covenant partner in the earth, God could not work in the earth. The earth and all therein belonged to Satan. It was handed over to him. By forming a blood covenant with a man, God could regain a legal right to work in the earth. And God found that covenant man in Abram. Now, we're going to be reading a lot of scriptures, a whole lot of scripture, and I'm going to go through it and keep moving so time will run tight on us today. So let's read about this straight from God's Word now. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, the English Standard Version. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who honors or dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. Genesis chapter 13, verses 14 through 18, the English Standard Version. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abraham moved, or Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 18, the New Living Translation. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so no one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But Abraham replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? And the Lord told him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, a young pigeon. So Abram presented all these to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. 
Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came down over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land, where they will be oppressed as slaves for four hundred years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land, for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River. Now, does this sound familiar? Not the story, but how God made the blood covenant with Abram. Remember in podcast 10, we talked about how blood covenants are made. So I'm going to recap those and then follow up on it. So, so let's look at how this lines up. In a blood covenant, they may exchange their clothing, usually an outer garment like a robe or a coat. Offering the robe or coat is symbolic of offering themselves, even their life if need be, to the other. Sometimes it is other gifts that have a significant meaning to each of the ones making the covenant. They may exchange weapons for their girdle, which is a belt that holds their knives, swords, or weapons. This signifies that they are there to fight each other's battles to the death. Well, God told Abram to fear not. He would protect him, and his reward would be great. The King James Version says, I will be your shield. This is representative of God offering his robe and girdle. He is offering himself and his protection to Abram. In a covenant, both people making the covenant stand before witnesses and proclaim the terms of the covenant. God began to lay out the terms for the covenant. He told Abram he would have a son and his descendants would be as many as the stars. He told Abram uh, how he would die and how his descendants would be enslaved for 400 years but come out of slavery with great wealth. He told him he was giving him the land from Egypt to the great Euphrates River. In making a covenant, they seal the covenant by the shedding of blood using one of the methods we talked about earlier. In some cases, they will split the animals in half and walk between the two halves. Some walk in figure eights between the halves. This is saying, may God do this to me and more if I break this covenant. Well, the Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, a young pigeon. And so Abram presented all these to him and killed them. Then he cut the animals down the middle, laid the half side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds. And then after the sun went down and the darkness fell, he saw the smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the carcasses. God sealed the blood covenant with Abram. God, or Jesus pre-incarnate, passed between the halves, sealing the blood covenant. But God wasn't finished with his covenant with Abram. In Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 27, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. 
and I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings and all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight years old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah, meaning princess, shall be her name. And I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said unto himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear you at this time next year. And when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. And Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all those born in his house are bought with his money, and every male among the men of Abraham's house. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. And Abraham was ninety-nine years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael his son was thirteen years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Now, God continues to lay out the terms of his covenant with Abraham. He again tells him how his descendants will be many. I have made you a father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into all nations a king shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. So looking back again at how blood covenants are made, they may exchange names or parts of names, sort of like a wife takes her husband's last name when they're married. Well, God changed Abram's name to Abraham and Sarai's name to Sarah. So God's name translates from Hebrew into the English letters Y-H-W-H. Now, I'm not going to attempt to the correct pronunciation of God's name. Uh, in Hebrew, the letters are pronounced Yad-Heh-Wav-Heh, and I probably didn't say that exact either. But nonetheless, God took part of his name and added it to Abram to change his name to Abraham and also added part of his name to Sarai's name to change her name to Sarah. God then said that he would be known as the God of Abraham. When making a blood covenant, they make a memorial as a sign to remind them and all their future generations of their covenant. Their blood or the blood of a sacrificed animal or animals is often sprinkled on the memorial 
The memorials are monuments made by planting trees, piling rocks, carving large stones, or even exchanging flocks or herd of livestock. Well, God said, This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Now, God requiring them to be circumcised not only serves as a daily reminder sign, it also required the shedding of their own blood. So we can clearly see how the covenant that God made with Abraham is the first fully recorded blood covenant in the Bible. However, based on Abram's or Abraham's reaction, the making of a blood covenant was already in practice, and Abraham fully understood its significance. Abraham replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure I will actually possess it? God responded, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Well, Abraham did not question this. He did exactly as God told him. So when Abraham presented all these things to him and killed them, well, he cut each animal down the middle and laid the half side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Well, if Abraham did not understand the significance of the blood covenant, surely he would have questioned God. Note also, God did not tell Abraham to cut the animals down the middle and lay them out. He just did it. Again, indicating he knew what he was doing and the significance of this blood covenant. He knew exactly what God was asking and telling him to do. I believe the blood covenant was put in place by God all the way back in the beginning with Adam and Eve after they had sinned and fallen. And from there, everyone all along the generations knew and understood what the blood covenant and the significance of it was. And guess what? We are out of time again. So I'm going to ask you to join us for the next podcast as we continue to talk about the lack of knowledge of the new covenant being a hindrance to our faith. Now, we covered much of the old covenant, and next time we're going to continue talking about the old covenant. So thank you for listening. May God bless you and keep you today and every day as we grow in faith and live the faith life 365 days per year.